You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. I was detected with ovarian cancer. What happened was I started feeling pressure on the right side of my stomach. I mean, it felt like, like really bad gas. That went on for three days until I finally decided to call my doctor. She was listening to my stomach with a stethoscope, and she said, I'm not hearing any bowel sounds from your stomach. She said, you need to go to the emergency room. They did x-rays, and uh, that's when the doctor came and told me that I had a tumor in my stomach the size of a loaf of bread. The doctor came to me, and he said, I have good news. I said, oh, good, I could use some good news right now. And he said, well, the tumor was positive for ovarian cancer. The good news is it's right at stage one, so we were able to get it before it could spread. And then he said, when you leave here, you're going to take two weeks off in your apartment to recover from the surgery. Then we will schedule chemo. We'll we'll discuss your diagnosis and we'll discuss chemotherapy with you. Ovarian cancer is something that can happen to any female. It does not discriminate. Early detection is essential. If you feel something is going wrong with your stomach, don't just dismiss it as something that you can just cure on your own, especially if it goes on for a few days. But I think the most important thing dealing with ovarian cancer is the fact that you can get through it with the right type of support. All right. Thank you so much for staying with us. Professor Michael Herbst is a health specialist, a patient advocate as well at the Cancer Association of South Africa. Professor Herbst, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you and all your listeners as well. Thanks for having me. Essentially, we're having this conversation because I bumped into something that said a pap smear, for instance, is not going to detect um, ovarian cancer. And that mechanisms to detect early ovarian cancer just don't exist. Is that true? That is so true. I will tell you that if you follow the literature, you may find somewhere that there is a blood test referred to as CA. That is now the third letter of the alphabet. CA-125. Yes, that is a test that, that can be done, but... It is unfortunately not very specific for ovarian cancer. Mm. And the other problem is if you want to use the CA125 test, it is something that has to be done repeatedly every few months. And if you then see a steady rise in the CA125, then you can do proper investigations because that even doesn't tell you that there is cervical cancer. The only indication you may get from an increased rise in the CA125 is that there may be a problem with the ovaries, but it can be non-cancerous and it can be inflammatory or whatever, and it increases the CA125. So, yes, it's true there is no screening test for for ovarian cancer. So could we safely say from the voice, um, the, the, the audio that we had played also earlier, that most cases that are detected early are by pure chance? Absolutely, because, you know, we refer to ovarian cancer as the silent killer. Yep. And yep. it's called the silent killer because it gives no warnings. Mm, mm. Most women don't have any signs or symptoms and only... After the fact, once they're diagnosed, some of them may come up and say, yes, you know, I have for the past few months had a bit of a bloated feeling in my my tummy. You know, something like that. Nondescript. 
which could be, you know, you could think also a little bit of indigestion or just a little bit of flatulence or something, but nothing specific. Okay, so then why don't we have a, det- <laughs> a detecting mechanism? Why don't we have it? A very good question. But you know that there are uh, several cancers for which we don't have a very specific uh, test that proves cancer. You know, even if some of the male cancers like prostate cancer, we talk about a PSA test, and even that isn't specific for prostate cancer. It just tells you there is most probably a problem with a prostate gland. And the same thing with several of the other cancers. We just don't have a specific. And I can tell you that the scientists are, are looking for it. They, they, are, they are research projects on the go all the time to try and find because especially, you know, with something like ovarian cancer, which mm-hmm. is the silent killer. Mm-hmm. And uh, in South Africa, I can tell you, we don't have very accurate statistics. But the latest statistics yes. that we have is for 2017. And approximately 600 women were diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer in South Africa. It's, I mean, I was actually having that conversation with a colleague around, do we even know what the numbers are? Because if, um, if, if it's gone undetected, and we don't diagnose, then then we wouldn't have accurate stats. That's right. And let me tell you that the South African National Cancer Registry, they only enter a number in the registry if the diagnosis has been confirmed by means of a pathology report, meaning that a specimen was sent to a laboratory and a registered pathologist has diagnosed it. And requested that you actually check, yeah. It goes, so many women die, and uh, you know, my heart goes out, especially into the rural areas. So many women die of this dreaded disease, and we don't even know that they had ovarian cancer. We speak of rural women, and I was actually, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit because I think it's much wider. Because when you look at the system, and I'm speaking to you now as a patient advocate, right? The system is such that if you have that bloated feeling in your tummy, right, as we spoke about now, you're probably likely to go to a clinic. And they may probably just kind of touch your tummy a little bit. That's maybe a nurse. If you get to yeah, see a and doctor. And send you home yeah, and say, go and get correct. something for indigestion uh, from correct. the Correct. Exactly. And then you go home and then you get something for indigestion and a little bit of maybe something. And then you, you go off. As you said, it's very unlikely that you're going to get a sharp pain on a specific part of your body. And then you Absolutely. go off. And then maybe, and then because I said that to you, you're likely to go repeatedly using this over-the-counter something for a bloated stomach. Oh, man, you should become a patient advocate with me. (laughs) (laughs) And very unlikely are you going to be sent to a specialist who's just even going to give you a pap smear, forget the pap smear Well, even to to see a GP, you know, because you've got to sort of go up the ladder. Yeah, yeah. And so my my very difficult question to you is, surely we need to find easier ways, even if medicine has not come to the party, but to get us checked. Absolutely. You know, my uh, message that I always give to somebody, and I give quite a few uh, cancer talks, I always say to people, anything that is different today than it was yesterday or last week or last month, must be seen to and you must get a proper answer 
don't just accept a, a, a little whatever. But what do we do in the public health service where my dear beloved country folks are dependent on going to a public uh, mm. primary health care clinic? I, you know, I have come across women who have fulminating breast abscesses from because of cancer that has just opened up the breast. Mm. They are even panados yes. sent home. Yeah. And, and and so when you, you know, when our language needs to change somewhat, because I often find that we we put the burden on the patient when something doesn't feel right, say something. But I think a lot of people do who actually, I think a lot of people do get up and do ask and unfortunately are returned home with the ponado or somebody saying, well, you know, yeah, it's nothing. We can't see anything. Yes, you see, fortunately, people who've got uh, health insurance, they stand a better chance to have a further investigation gone if they go back to the doctor again. But, uh, and this is my major concern, what are we going to do once we start the uh, national health insurance? Hmm. Because if we look at the system at the moment that cannot cope, what is going to happen with national health insurance when I believe clinics are going to be flooded even more than they are now? Let me ask you a difficult question. Is it a priority to get a detective uh, mechanism? Is it a priority? To- Absolutely. We need to have proper tests and investigations so that we can come to the bottom of complaints from patients. So are you saying that pharmaceuticals and so on are um, really doing their best? Is there enough money to do these studies to try and find detecting mechanisms? Well, I'll tell you, you know, unfortunately, the research is very, very expensive. Yeah. And uh, if there is a chance of coming up with a test, you know, I'll be able to sell my test and get my money back. That is sort of a, a mm-hmm. more of a, of a of a something that will will spur people on to 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 work harder. Mm-hmm. So we are dependent on people who say, "Well, look, I'm going to research this, even if I don't get any money of, out of it at the moment." And unfortunately, we do not have enough of those people who are prepared to give their time and their money and their research capabilities to help us to find tests or better methods of diagnosing some of these and mm-hmm. especially the rarer cancers yeah. you know yeah i'll take calls um, i see a lot of uh, people sending messages i'll take calls as well on 0117142006 i'll read up uh, those uh, whatsapp notes that are coming through um, and and messages as well i'll read them out 0614104107 my doctor uh, professor michael herbst is a health specialist and patient advocate and we're speaking today about <laughs> Professor Michael Herbst is a health specialist and patient advocate at Cancer Association of South Africa. We're discussing ovarian cancer. Prof, I'm hoping there's some good news here. So in the event that one does detect the cancer early, is it easily treated? Yes. Look, the success rate of people going into remission and being successfully treated really uh, improves a lot, especially with early diagnosis. But it, it's not easy, you know, for somebody to have the privilege to be diagnosed very early. Mm. And, uh, you know, as we get older, because 
most of, of the ovarian cancer patients are also between about the ages of 50 and 70. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the time of life when we start having, because Aches we are pains. getting older, <laughs> we've got a little bit more of, you know, as the Afrikaans people will say, brillikis and brillikis. And, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's one of those yes. things you're not likely so to ask. Then, you know, to be taken seriously for a serious condition, if you start complaining between the age of 15 and 70, again, it, 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 it just uh, bedevils the whole process. I get it. And it but, makes it so difficult. But because we want to get to some sort of a, a happy medium here, even if you are 70, is there anything that you maybe can guide us on, on on an early maybe warning sign of sorts? Is there anything? No, really not. You know, if, if you think of the uh, uh, most obvious uh, symptoms, as I said, you know, was, was the bloating. And then very much later on, you know, there could be pelvic and abdominal discomfort. And, uh, well, what does that mean again? Yeah. Is it indigestion? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you eat something that didn't go down well or whatever? Mm. Mm. So, again, even a pelvic and abdominal discomfort and bloating, they, they are so nonspecific and could be anything. There is, there is someone says here, and I mean, it's going to sound like we're talking about medical aid schemes. We're not really. Um, this person is saying, and yet uh, medical aid schemes don't like to, to pay for second or third opinions. Well, you know, well, I cannot blame a medical aid who will pay for a second opinion for somebody who says, look, I've got a little bit of abdominal discomfort and I'm not happy with what my doctor is doing. And so I'm going to another doctor. I, I can quite understand that, that the medical aid, because, I mean, they are in business and they make use of cross-subsidization of the more healthy to subsidize the ones that have got health problems. And they're trying to save money because it's, it's a business in any event. Mm. So, um, yes, it's not easy always to get unless there is a, a serious problem. Mm. Then you can convince any medical aid. Mm-hmm. It's important that I get better treatment and get a better opinion. Anonymous is calling from Richards Bay. Hi, Anonymous. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for calling. I'm fine. I would like to ask the doctor. Um, my wife is diagnosed with meningioma, um, brain cancer, part of cancer. But yeah. now all the doctors, like we are going from pillar to post, some want to do radiation, others want to do to remove it completely, not doing radiation. The neurosurgeon, we almost went to four. Well, two said radiation, the other two said it's complicated way it's situated in the brain, they can't do radiation on that or on that part. Now we end up being confused. What can you explain which better option between radiation and complete removal? Sure, Anonymous, that's a tough one. Prof, I don't know if you want to respond to that, I mean, some sort of guidance here. Yes, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, what, what I picked up from the message was, does this have to do with uh, a brain cancer? Mm, mm. And that, you know, the, the neurological cancers is, again, such a specialized field. Mm. And uh, I think maybe, you know, I would advise this uh, person who phoned in to contact the Cancer Association and ask the question uh, either from the toll-free telephone line, mm-hmm. 0800, Double two, double six, double two, mm-hmm. or send a question to info at cancer 
www.cancerassociation.org.za or visit the website of the Cancer Association and lodge a, a, a query there. Okay, that's, that's so really helpful. People are listening in to hear about ovarian cancer. And, I'm, I, you know, I feel so terrible to say to somebody, look, I, I cannot go into details of brain cancer now. Mm. For the benefit of people who are keen and interested to hear something about ovarian cancer. But that's that's really helpful. Anonymous, I think, let me give you the number again, or I'll also repeat it much later, okay? It's 0800-226622. 800 Double two, double six, double two. Someone on the other side, number. yeah. Someone on the other side should be able to to help you. You know, by way of asking you other questions as well that we're not and able to refer you. Yeah. Okay, anonymous. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for that, um, Prof. So, c- can we prevent ovarian cancer? Well, look, we can. Uh, I think it's important, you know, that we do mention the risk factors, mm-hmm. and then if one can avoid the risk factors. One will have less of a chance, hopefully, sure. to develop uh, ovarian cancer. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. some of the risk factors are that people who have the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene mutation, they have a higher incidence. Now, the people who don't know the BRCA1 and BRCA2, BRCA stands for breast cancer. Okay. So it's the BRCA1 and 2. And if I mention the name of Angelina Jolie, yes. most people will remember yes. that she had the problem with a, a mother, a grandmother, sisters and aunts Jeans. who all developed breast cancer and they were all diagnosed to have the BRCA1 and 2 gene mutation. Mm. Now, people who have that gene mutation stand a higher risk of developing ovarian cancer. And one can be tested for that. Then smoking is quite high on the list that it exposes, apart from lung cancer and all the others, is a definite uh, factor that is linked to ovarian cancer. That is so interesting. Then people who are obese. And again, you know, obesity is also linked to at least nine different cancers, but it is specifically listed for ovarian cancer as well. Hmm. There's a question coming from Olisa, and the question is, um, is it is ovarian cancer linked to hormones or hormonal imbalance and is ovarian cancer an inflammation that prolonged turned to cancer okay i I understand what they're saying question and Mm. a very important one Mm -hmm. because we know also that people who are on birth control pills Mm -hmm. it helps to prevent them from developing ovarian cancer provided that it is a balanced birth control tablet, meaning that it contains estrogen and uh, the the, the uh, uh, other uh, progesterone. Mm-hmm. Whereas people who go only on medication that is basically estrogen uh, replacement, mm-hmm. that can also increase the risk. Okay. And so, the, the people tell us that, you know, if you take the estrogen uh, replacement for five years or more, yes. then you have a much higher risk for ovarian cancer as well. Okay. So hormones are definitely involved. All right. And the question further goes on to ask, if is it inflammation that, if prolonged, becomes a cancer? If prolonged, yes. Okay. So, so the question would be then, what causes the inflammation? 
Well, you know, inflammation is is one of those things that that is already again linked to, to obesity. Yeah, yeah. And when I talk about obesity, I heard a very good description the other day of of when obesity becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. As long as you can pinch the 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 the, the fatty layer, mm-hmm. that means it's just under the skin. It's it's not deep down. But the problem with obesity is once the fat layers start depositing in the abdominal cavity. Mm. That is the major problem with obesity because that type of obesity, it releases unwanted hormones directly where one's major Mm. organs are. Mm. And this is where the ovaries are as well Mm -hmm. because the ovaries are in the abdominal cavity Mm. and from them there are little tubes going which we call the uh, fallopian tubes Mm -hmm. that will take an, an egg from the ovary down into the uterus. So the ovaries are there in the in the yeah. abdominal cavity. Yeah. Yeah. And if there is abdominal obesity, meaning yeah. fatty tissues laid down inside the abdominal cavity, mm-hmm. it increases the risk of inflammation and it releases unwanted uh, hormones and it can increase the risk. All right. Let's take a quick break um, and go to the headlines with Amanda. All right, Professor Michael Herbst is a health specialist and a patient advocate at uh, Cancer Association of South Africa. We were discussing ovarian cancer this afternoon. Um, Prof, the link between, or is there a link between ovarian cancer and cervical cancer? No, you know, there's, they all belong to the same system because it's yes. the reproductive system sure. of the woman. Yes. But there is no link that will say that somebody with cervical cancer has a higher risk. I haven't come across anything in the literature that there's even a suggestion that somebody who's diagnosed with cervical cancer stands a higher risk of developing ovarian cancer or the other way around. Mm-hmm. That somebody diagnosed with ovarian cancer has a chance of an increased risk of cervical cancer, although they do share one risk factor, and that is smoking. Wow. Both cervical cancer and ovarian cancer have smoking tobacco as a risk factor. Wow. Okay, let's talk about treatments that are available for somebody who is diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and what options do they have? Well, you know, I think just before we get to to the treatment, Mm -hmm. let us just uh, say that it is important for a proper diagnosis to be made. Mm-hmm. And here, uh, the radiologist may start with an ultrasound mm-hmm. because that is a quicker and a much easier uh, test to do. And then if they find something that doesn't look right, they may then go to a CT scan or an MRI scan. And that will be a definitive way of making a final diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Then... If diagnosed, what are the treatment options? There are three treatment options available, especially in South Africa at the moment, and that is number one is surgery to determine if it's just one of the ovaries, say a left ovary, then that ovary can be removed, and it may even happen that the ovary together with the fallopian tube on that side may be removed. If they are both, uh, in fact, then again, they can remove both, And then it is most probably a a case that this person will have to have a hormone replacement continued so that uh, she won't go into immediate Mm -hmm. uh, menopause with all its uh, complications and whatever. 
then there is also chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And the chemotherapy may be given even following on surgery. Because when surgery is done, no surgeon can guarantee that every single cancer cell has mm. been removed. Mm-hmm. So what will very often happen is that the person may be put onto a chemotherapy course to make sure that if there are any cancer cells still available in the body, that those cancer cells will be uh, killed. And then, of course, also radiotherapy. And I can tell people that radiotherapy is such an advanced uh, thing. It's not like 10 and 15 and 20 years and more ago. They can today focus the radiation so accurately that very little of the uh, normal cells in the body or surrounding cells in the body are exposed to the radiation. So they can focus this, focus it very finely. So then the three options or the three methods of treatment, surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and it can be one or a combination of at least two of them. Is it ever too late to treat? Well, depending again, you know, each uh, person is unique. And then there's also a method whereby uh, cancers are normally staged. And part of the staging of cancer is to determine is the cancer only where it originated? Has it sort of spread into some of the surrounding tissues? And that's why I mentioned, you know, with surgery, they may even have to remove a fallopian tube Mm. because the cancer's already started spreading outside their ovary and may have infiltrated the fallopian tube, the beginning of the fallopian tube. So that is important to remember. Mm. And then we must also remember that a cancer can even spread to distant parts of the body. Mm, mm. And I can tell you that ovarian cancer, if it spreads, uh, science tells us it spreads to the liver, to the lung, and to the lining of the abdomen. Because again, you know the ovaries are in the abdominal cavity, and the lining of the whole of the abdominal cavity, as well as that which covers the organs, is part of the peritoneum. And that is where ovarian cancer can spread to. Liver, lungs, and the peritoneum, the lining of the abdomen. You know, we we spoke earlier about the, the, you know, who would likely get ovarian cancer, and you spoke about the category of those between, you know, 50 and 70 and so on. But but then in the event that it is a very young person, is there a recommended treatment that, that would suit a younger person? Again, you know, the uh, even the South African National Cancer Registry tell us that it's not totally unknown even for somebody around about the age of 19 mm, to mm. be diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm. We have on record, for instance, for the year 2017, which is the latest statistics, that uh, 19 people under the age of 19, young women, were diagnosed, girl children, sure. were diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Sure. But the figures start rising from age 50. Then all of a sudden there are nearly 150 people diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Between 60 and 70 years, 165. And then after age 70, it starts going down 
then the figure becomes 94 and 80 years or older, only 23. So we can see that 50 to, nine, uh, to, se- to 80 years age is really, or to 70 years at least, is the major part of people who will develop it. But it can happen amongst young people. And again, we are all unique. Yeah, but but surely the rise is a concern of sorts. There must be something that we are changing. Is it in our diet? What do you think it is? What is it pointing to? Well, again, you know, if, if we mustn't look at ovarian cancer in isolation. Mm-hmm. We must look at the risk factors. Mm-hmm. And you will recall that I told you that uh, obesity is one of the problems. Yeah. Do you know South Africa is one of the most obese countries in the world? Hmm. Sure. The number of females in South Africa that are obese mm. is about 60-65% who are obese. Not overweight, who are obese. Hmm. Because to be obese is more than just to be have a higher weight than is expected for your sure. body build and your age and your length, etc. Sure. So we have a, an obese nation and obesity is linked to ovarian cancer as one of the, the, the risks. Hmm. So we must remember that as well. So, so you know, with all the data, it looks to me like, you know, we need to really, really seriously talk about obesity as, as an illness. I'm sure you'd classify you, it as... Obesity is, is a major problem because, I mean, as I can tell you, I can link it to at least 12 different cancers. Yeah, yeah. Apart from, from hypertension, uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, asthma, you know, all of these other non-communicable diseases, uh, we can uh, link them to that. Um, muscular and, and joint problems, because the body cannot carry all that weight by itself. Mm. You know, the joints and the muscles get tired and, and etc. So obesity is, is a really a major health issue. Okay. I mean, that's just completely sober. <laughs> now completely you know we yeah it's 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 quite something because we often it's referred to in passing often because we are speaking about other things and i think that for me is the concern we never isolate obesity as an illness and i'll tell you it it becomes problematic because there are cultural uh, issues related to obesity you know, if you are an underweight, thin, pencil-thin woman and you're 60, 70 years old, you're not as well-respected as the person who has a bigger body. We do have that tendency in South Africa that we respect the older woman more when she is a little bit more plump. You know, and I won't say obese or whatever, but she's just a little bit more plump. And that goes with respect culturally. And that, it, it further bedevils the whole issue, you know. So you can't just walk into a community and say, hey, 60% of you are obese, we've got to do something about it. Then we're touching on, on very sensitive areas of people's uh, belief, their life, uh, the way they see life, etc. I want to, yeah, we, we need to definitely talk about this because you spoke about, um, you know, the description of what would be risky and, and fatty deposits within the body and hypertension. And, and sometimes we have people with very high cholesterol that do not look like 
they've got an obesity problem. And that is, uh, can, you know, can be controlled by nutrition, by diet. To make sure that we, we take food that will not increase the, the cholesterol levels in the blood. And okay. by being active, you know, that is another thing that we must remember. For all cancers, one of the, the uh, ways of reducing one's risk is to be as active as possible. And I can tell you, inactivity in South Africa, again, amongst all population groups, is a major issue. We are not as active as we are. We've got a few wonderful athletes and so on who are doing wonderful things, soccer players, uh, cricket players, rugby players, uh, other athletes who do field and track events. Are any of them obese? That is the only question I'm going to ask and not comment on it any further. They are dying, though, from heart heart attacks on the field, aren't they? They could. But then again, we've got to look at, at other co-factors. Mm-hmm. Do they smoke? Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you there are some athletes who do smoke, mm-hmm. who use tobacco. Uh, alcohol is another problem. Another drugs and as well. I can tell you my own firm belief is there's no safe level of alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, already in the 1980s, the uh, International Agency for Cancer Research, which is IARC, mm-hmm. people will know it as that, it's a branch of the World Health Organization, they have declared alcohol a cancer-causing chemical. Goodness. Okay. And as you said, in any level of alcohol, it's not so much that this person is an alcoholic. It's no. that you may be at risk if you consume alcohol, period. Yes. And again, you know, I keep on repeating we are all unique. Yes. You know, because I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, my grandfather was killed in a motor vehicle accident when he was 90, but he started smoking when he was 14, and he never had any problems with it. Yeah, yeah. we've heard those people We know those stories. Then you have somebody who has maybe smoked 10 cigarettes uh, for a day for a period of a year or so, and it stopped smoking. And they develop lung cancer. Yeah, we yeah. are all unique. So, so having said all of this and freaked us completely out, <laughs> what's, so your par- what's your parting <laughs> shot, Prof? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. You know, life is so complicated. Mm. And very often, you know, I, I sit and meditate and I think to myself, how do we stay alive? You know, if you hear all the, all the <laughs> factors that there are. Absolutely. I, mean, I want to see what you're eating every day. I want, to see how, I want to see how many laps you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, look, I am uh, 76 years old. Yes. And uh, I walk briskly three kilometers every morning and three kilometers every afternoon. And I mean a wow. real risk walk because i know the importance of remaining as active as i can and especially COVID 19 is 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 the worst that could have happened to us because we're all now sitting inside and we Mm, were mm. uh, kept in in residence for nearly a year Mm. that you couldn't move anywhere and so many of us had to go and work from home and we become really so inactive Mm. and we are increasing our risk not only for cancer, which is a, uh, inactivity is a major risk factor for, but also for so very many of the non-communicable diseases. Could it be too much? Could exercise be too much? 
Well, you know, fortunately, one's body, and again, we are unique, your body will warn you if you are taking mm. it to extremes. Mm. And uh, you may collapse, but you could collapse and die as well. Mm-hmm. But normally, you know, your body will tell you, look, I've had enough. Mm. I, 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 can't I can't do this go any further. Yeah, yeah. Unless, of course, you, you do like some of the, the people that I've seen who take... Uh, Steroids. Yeah, I didn't even want to mention mm-hmm. the name. I was trying to think of, no. of a euphemism to use. Now, if we're going to badmouth alcohol and tobacco, let's do that with steroids. Then we must, we must call it by its name <laughs> as well. That's correct, yes. Because steroids, I mean, is, is the worst thing that anybody can do to themselves. And I had a fear that many of the substances that uh, some people take to so-called develop their, their muscles mm, so, mm-hmm. are tainted. I, I, I really uh, am convinced of that. And okay. we know that a lot of things happen on the black market yep. where people are given all these funny things. Mm, you mm. know, I had an experience of being involved with the South African Pharmacy Council mm-hmm. uh, years back. I was head of the, the uh, training and education uh, department. And we had uh, more than one uh, pharmacist who was brought before the disciplinary committee mm. for providing Dispensing athletes these. and others with steroids. Okay, I guess and I guess this. Yeah. Worst of it is that in more than one case, it was even steroids that was normally given to to horses and and and, and mm, things mm, like that. Mm, mm. Wow, that's a conversation for another day. But I appreciate your time, Prof. Thank you so much for for talking to Thank us this you afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And my closing message again to everybody is: anything that is different today to what it was yesterday, last week, or last month. Please have it seen to. Mm. And during COVID-19, mm. please stay safe. Thank you. Professor Michael Herbst is a health specialist as well as a patient advocate at the Cancer Association of South Africa. The number for Cancer Association of South Africa is 800 22